Welcome to another episode of East Got Game, an unofficial podcast showcasing the NBL One East competition for 2023, where we review, interview and preview our way through the competition. And with me, as always, is Lockie France. And it sounds like you had one hell of a Saturday night. Maybe not all for the right reasons, Lockie. Yes, Gwyn, it was a big Saturday night. The place was literally on fire. Not the uh, not the stadium itself, but with um, hazard reduction burning going on just uh, not more than a five-minute drive from the stadium. Uh, things got a bit hazy in the uh, old Sutherland Basketball Stadium. But, uh, yeah, it was a really, really good, really fun weekend. But, yeah, we'd like to do it without the uh, smoke next time. Or at least a little bit of a heads up that that's happening in the area. So perhaps, you know, people can prepare otherwise, you know? Uh, definitely, yes. I was not expecting it. But uh, I know we've been saying this for a couple of weeks now. We are certainly getting to the pointy end of the season with only one round to go as we've just wrapped up round 17 of 18 for NBL 1 East 2023. We're going to get stuck into some more finals, but what ifs? What happens if this team beats the other team? Where does that mean everyone places? Thankfully, you understand that stuff much better than I do. It goes way over my head in a similar way that I can't do like my own taxes or accounting. I just don't have that chip in my brain. with <laughs> numbers in that way. So thankfully you're here to fill that gap. Oh, thanks, Gwen. And you were tasked with um, the women's comp this week. Uh, it looks like it was pretty entertaining with some big numbers across the board and uh, some big plays in dying seconds of some matches. Uh, how about you start us off by taking us through the results? I certainly can do that. It all started on late Friday afternoon with a couple of games. We had Hills getting up 72-56 on the road at Hornsby. Bankstown kept their finals hopes alive with a 78 78- 68 win over Inner West and then backed up after 6pm tip-off on Friday night, backed up at 2pm on Saturday did the Bruins but got a 67-59 win against a valiant Hills side. Albury Wodonga did, did no harm to their finals chances with a 73-59 win over the Canberra Nationals. Michaela Pivik again going close to a triple-double, not quite getting one on this occasion. Squins Girls, the Central Coast Crusaders, racked up a big 86-62 win over the Illawarra Hawks. Maitland just edged home over Newcastle 72-69 in a massive boon for their finals placing hopes. Sutherland fell 54-65 to Manly Warringah, who were elite on defense at the Shark Tank. Norse picked up a 91-50 win over over the Penrith Panthers. And then on Sunday afternoon, Hornsby, still under strength, fell 125-54 to the Sydney Comets. So if we turn to the ladder, the big, big outcome is that with Newcastle losing and Manly winning, Manly now, if they win next week, they secure top spot no matter what because they're a win up. They're at 19-2. Newcastle, 18-3. North. 16 and 4 and hold the split over center of excellence so even if they were to lose their next two games they would finish above center of excellence and coe 
having played their 22 games, are nestled in their 16 and 6, fourth spot, cannot move. Sutherland and Maitland, both 14 and 7, but Maitland do have the head to head split there. Comets, 12 and 8 in seventh. Albury Wodonga, 11 and 9. Bankstown, 11 and 10. And then Canberra, 9 and 11. And I think they might be just out of the finals running now. But importantly, the Aubrey-Wodonga Comets game has been rescheduled. It's happening. Uh, That game will be played on Friday night. Aubrey could uh, pick up a win at home there. That would be absolutely massive. Still lots to play for. Comets, I don't think, are technically in finals yet. But they are very, very close. They need a lot to fall the wrong way for them to miss finals. Yeah, I'm looking forward to picking your brain a bit more about that uh, later on in the show, Lockie, because I feel like for especially the seventh and eighth position for the women's ladder, it's certainly not confirmed, like you said, because Albury have Comets and Maitland back-to-back and Maitland are riding the high of just beating Newcastle Falcons. Uh, So once again, we find ourselves at the end of the season where nothing, I shouldn't say nothing, but where things certainly are still left uh, uncertain. I'm very happy as a Sutherland fan that we played the early game on Saturday afternoon in the men's because I just want to know our fate. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a lot of fans out there who just want to know where their team's going to finish and get on with line. Put us out of our misery. <laughs> yes. Right, you were tasked with the men's results. How did that shake out this weekend? Yeah, I sure was. Um, A lot of close contests, actually. We see some of the bottom of the table teams challenging the the top of the table teams a little bit. When I say challenge, you know, within like between 12 to, say, even seven point margins, which is certainly an improvement over the season. Uh, So it did start off with Hornsby and Hills. Hornsby losing that one 61 to 73. Inner West Bulls hosted the Bankstown Bruins and they won 102 to 90. Bruins then had to back up and play at home the next day against Hills Hornets, and they went down 89 to 96. Canberra Gunners was uh, back at Belconnen Basketball Stadium, this time against Albury Wodonga Bandits, and they won 95 to 74. Illawarra played the Central Coast Crusaders for the first and only time of the season down at the Snake Pit. And Illawarra winning 100 to 72. Sutherland Sharks beating Manly Warringah Seagulls at home 85 to 62. Newcastle Falcons got a big home win over the Maitland Mustangs in a crosstown rival match. They won 76 to 68. Penrith Panthers uh, went down to North Bears at home 80 points to 108, and rounding off. Uh, round 17 of NBL1 East 2023 for the men's competition was Hornsby Spiders, 72, Sydney Comets, 84. That takes us to the ladder. As it stands after round 17, COE still well and truly ahead in first place with 19 wins and one loss. But now that they've wrapped up at the NBA Global Academy Games, it looks like their next game is against Comets in the next round. That's right, hey, Lockie? Uh, yeah, I believe they've got Comets and Hills to uh, round things out. So they've got a doubleheader to finish things off. Very good. Squeezing it in at the last minute. Uh, Inner West Bulls are in second place with 16 and 4. Canberra Gunners are in third place now with 14 and 6. North Bears have dropped to fourth place with 14 and 6. Maitland Mustangs are in fifth position with 14 and 7. 
Sutherland Sharks are in sixth position with 14 and 7, with 3.3 percentage separating the two. Hills Hornets are in seventh position with 13 and 7, and Newcastle Falcons are in eighth position with 13 and 8. Again, getting the split as Lockie has mentioned in previous episodes. Ninth position is Illawarra Hawks, 11 and 10, and 10th is Sydney Comets with 10 and 10. So Comets, you know, still sticking around that middle table. Illawarra Hawks probably going to be ending up in ninth, ninth or 10th position, despite our, my prediction of them winning the whole thing. Yeah, it's not gone well because the uh, yeah the top eight is well the top eight teams are officially locked in the order as evidenced by the uh, numbers you just rolled off. Where uh, it's very close and not a lot is decided as to who's going to finish where. Apart from centre of excellence, will finish top. I think that is a very important distinction to make. That the top eight is in the men's competition is pretty much confirmed, but it will depend on placing. So. Like, there's not a lot of games that feature two teams that can't make finals. So, of the 12 or so games left, I think 10 of them still actually will impact who finishes where, which is just crazy to think about. Yeah, and I feel like it was definitely a similar situation last year, especially in the men's comp between Inner West Bulls and Sutherland Sharks, all depending on whether the Bulls beat the Central Coast Crusaders by a particular margin. Yeah, that was uh, heart-stopping to say the least, uh, particularly after the way it panned out where Inner West and Sutherland actually had their game stopped due to injury originally and it had to be replayed uh, later on in the season, which just made it all the more exciting. Um, no, anyway, what uh, game did you decide to review for Round 17? Because there was a couple of crackers. There were a couple of crackers, but after... Breathing my way through the smoke haze on Saturday night, um, I decided that I had worked hard enough and that I would go with the Manly Sutherland or Sutherland versus Manly women's game. It was a low-scoring game, but the defence had a lot to say about that. And the reason this game was always going to be fun to look at was because up at Manly Warringah last time these two teams played was actually Lauren Nicholson's first game back. So she had, I think, 16 and 13, or 13 and 16, one way around or the other, you know, just getting back into things with, you know, with Sutherland. So, you know, we're seeing what she's done since then. She's racking up Player of the Week awards like it's nobody's business. And it was interesting going in seeing how Manly would handle a Lauren Nicholson who's actually had time to, you know, play alongside Sutherland for a while. And... It finished 65-54, but Laura Nicholson still managed to finish with 32 points, shooting above 50% from the field, 8 of 10 at the line, uh, 3 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals. But, gee, she had to work for those points, every last one of them. Manly knew exactly how they wanted to defend her, get physical with her, throw a number of players at her. I wouldn't say not worried about foul trouble. It was definitely a, a secondary consideration. There's no point in not committing fouls if Laura Nixon goes off for 45, 65% from the field because she's getting what she wants going to the rack. Uh, she finished with a huge amount of three-point shooting, especially not successfully. She finished with two of four. But yeah, getting to the rack, fighting through contact, doing a little bit on the fast break. Credit to the Manly defense for making her work so hard for everything and also still being able to prevent the rest of the Sutherland team from getting points. Yeah, you have those games where 
either you let a player get theirs and stop everyone else or you stop one player and make everyone else beat you. Well, Manly, they made Nicholson work and they shut down everyone else. <laughs> what I did like from Sutherland, apart from Nicholson, was they only got five steals, but they had 14 fast break points. They did a really good job of getting the ball to the right player, which is usually Lauren Nicholson, on the break and allowing her to convert. Gabby Nancaro was another player. Actually, funnily enough, on Friday afternoon, um, no, yeah, Friday afternoon, I was walking through Cronulla Mall and I bumped into Emily Garland, Mia Bruce, and Gabby Nancaro. Of course, the topic of conversation was the game coming up. We started talking about rebounding, and Gabby said to me, There's no real art to it. I just go and get the ball. And when you've got to replay, you know, when you sit, sit live white for a few minutes, you need someone who's going to go get the ball in the rebounding contest. And Gabby Nankara actually had six rebounds in her first eight minutes on the court. So she might not have the veteran savvy of a live white, sets those hard screens, rolls when she needs to, can finish tough shots near the basket. I think if there's one player who's really um, taken Jeremy Jones' message, this club needs to start rebounding to heart, it is Gabby. And that was really good to see. Yes, they lost, but keeping Manly to 65 points is still pretty good. Manly's offensive rating is well over 100 points per 100 possessions. And to keep them to 65, that's a score that would have got taken the game to OT last time they played because they lost 91-65 last time they played. Defensively, you know, slowing Manly down. Manly only shot 32% from the field, 37% from two-point range. It was just that... Sutherland, once again, like they did last time they played Manly, shot sub 30% from the field. Manly made it really hard for them. And things that were tough for them, they couldn't get Maddie Norris into a shooting rhythm. Eliza Fabro shot four or seven from deep. She had a couple early and went on with it a little bit. Maddie Norris finished with seven attempts from three-point range. Uh, she finished 0 of seven, but a couple of those were in like a flurry at the end where you're just trying to get quick baskets. But her first few was so spread out. Like they just couldn't get her open on the pick and pop because Manly would have someone right in her face every time. And it wasn't like they were throwing Zoe Miller or Sari Mowbray or someone short that she could just shoot over. It was always, it was always, you know, it was an Alex Delaney or a Kim Hodge or even Bree Delaney or Josie Bullman who, you know, are tall enough and strong enough to at least contest the shot. And again, just the short rotation, it's, um, it's tough. You know, Jordy Dewhurst, nine minutes, Nancaro, 12 minutes, Garland, eight minutes, and grand total of zero bench points but Lauren Calvill was, did suit up but she hasn't played for a while and I don't know that she was ever a realistic chance of playing they committed 20 turnovers and Manly's defense is really good but you still can't commit 20 turnovers Manly themselves committed 14 but that's still difference of six ended up Manly had 11 more field goal attempts 75 to 64 so when you're already shooting sub 30 percent giving the opposition 11 more Field goal attempts is uh, not really going to help. Let's clear one thing up. They gave up 14 offensive rebounds, but they only gave up very few um, second chance points. I think it was only four or five. Manly, yeah, Manly only finished with four second chance points. And you say 14 offensive rebounds, but those second chances, there were a, a few plays where they would get multiple offensive rebounds in the same possession. So second chance became third chance, became fourth chance. And it probably was 14 offensive rebounds, but only in about eight or nine possessions that it actually happened. Also, Manly missed 52 shots. So that's still a defensive rebounding percentage. that's well over their season average. They just, in such a low percentage shooting game, high offensive rebound number. Isn't so bad percentage-wise. Moving to Manly, good ball movement as always. 
recognizing situations when, you know, recognizing closeouts, when to pass, when to shoot, when to take off to the rack. Didn't always end in a basket, but um, well, obviously given the low score, still think apart from the finishing, they'll be reasonably content with how things went apart from, you know, cleaning up those turnovers. Sutherland, only five steals, so... Uh, they weren't, you know, jumping passing lanes all the time, going by the wayside or, you know, shot clock violations, things like that. Defending Maddie Norris, defending Lauren Nicholson, making it tough for them. Nicholson scored 32, but had to work for everything. We mentioned just during the game, they've got a lot of low center of gravity players, Manly. Players who are strong. They're not all, They're not tall or really tall, but they're strong. They're well-built players. If I think like like obviously Alex Delaney, fairly you know strong player, good size, but like someone like Josie Bullman, she's pretty strong out there. And she's someone who goes under the under the radar. Annie Henderson doesn't get mentioned enough in defensive defensive player, maybe not defensive player of the year, but best defensive players in the league. The reason they can play that physical basketball is because they don't get pushed around, and I mean literally they don't get pushed around because they're physically well built players. Plenty of players out there who are tall don't have a lot of weight on them or, you know, a lot of muscle on them. They just get bumped around. And it's okay to have maybe one player like that who's really athletic, gets up and down the court. But if all your bigs are getting pushed around or all your players in general are getting pushed around, it's never going to end well. Manly cons or things that didn't go so well for them. Uh, two of 16 from three-point range. Not not great numbers. Uh Bree Delaney, one of six, and Fliss Henderson, one of four, the only two to actually hit. But Bree Delaney was good, recognizing when to get to the rack, finished with 20 points and 13 rebounds. I'd say best on court for the Manly Warringah Sea Eagles. You know, they've got players with WNBL pedigree there, but it's not always them who stand up, and that's, again, what's great about Manly. Kim Hodge fouled out with a few minutes to go while the game was still in the balance. Judging by the reaction of... Well, just about everybody on court. I don't think anybody apart from the referees thought it was Hodges foul. Manly managed to uh, hang on. The game probably wasn't an 11-point game. It was just that late flurry, Sutherland trying to get quick baskets to close the seven-point gap. And Manly coming up the other end, they hit five or six free throws late. They just find ways to win. You know, you score 65 against a team like Sutherland. Most teams would not expect to win if they uh, only scored 65 against Sutherland. But it's the kind of thing Manly Warringah can do. And there's... Not a lot of teams out there who are going to uh, you know, hold Sutherland to 65 and uh, to only score 65 against Sutherland and win. I think Manly will be going into finals. They'll, you know, they'll say, we just scored 65 and won. And that's what you might have to do against another top team in a finals game. You might be able to get it in and do a defensive scrap or sometimes it just might not hit for you. And if it's not working at one end, well, it's got to work at the other. As I said, they picked up 14 offensive rebounds to six, so... Total rebound count was, yes, so 54-44 in the end. So Manly winning on just about all counts there. Yeah, Manly, if they win their next game, they'll finish top. Sutherland, they've got to go down and beat Canberra if they want to finish fifth or sixth. Otherwise, they leave it open to potentially falling to seventh. And then they'd be probably on the road to Newcastle or on the road at Manly. Or even North. <laughs> Could be anyone still. Yeah, so sounds like a very defensive heavy game, as you said. Really like your shout out to Antonia Henderson because I, I agree. I don't think she celebrated enough for the um, consistent hard-nosed defender she is. Really interesting with the Henderson sisters. You've got Kitty who's known for her scoring, Antonia known for her defense, and Fliss that's known for a bit of everything. <laughs> 100%. The, the skills of, of both of her sisters. 
because um, Henderson ended up with five steals in that game. Uh, Manly ended up with 11 steals overall and Antonia having five. So I think that's a pretty outstanding stat with the 12 points and four rebounds she also had. And she's just a perfect role player for Manly. She's always just been so consistent. Even as a, I remember watching her at Youth League, uh, she's always just been very consistent. She's one of those players where you feel like, oh, she's probably not doing much, but it's she does all the things that you can't count on stats as well. Oh, 100%. And, you know, when she gets those five steals, it's not the ball's getting thrown straight to her. You know, she's reading the situation thinking, I can hedge a step off my player and grab that steal and go. This player's dribbling, you know, in a way where I notice that I can, you know, pick it off. And she really, yeah, recognises, you know, the situation and when to go for it as well. There's no point in having five steals if you blow your coverage on eight other passes. <laughs> yeah, when you end up cheating and then uh, forcing your team to play five on four, essentially, because you've taken yourself out of the play. Yeah, that she has great anticipation on defence. I think that's definitely uh, art that has been lost in the game in the last couple of years, having that anticipation. Yeah. Someone else who does, who reads passes really well, Abby O'Flynn. Correct. I agree. So players like that, that yeah, can go for it at the right time and not go for it when it's too low percentage. And also reading who's receiving the ball. You don't want someone who's known for being able to beat you off the dribble, catching the pass after you've gone the other way missing. Um, And also you mentioned... um that Laura Nicholson had to work really hard for her 32 points and that Manly swapped a lot of defenders on her. It reminds me, I think I was talking to one of the assistant coaches of the Crusaders men last week when we played in a West Bulls. And they were trying to figure out who to guard um, Higgins Titcher because no one really in the Crusaders men's team is a fair matchup. And my suggestion was just try a whole bunch of different people and get him annoyed. They get him annoyed by the constant rotations, get him annoyed where everyone's going to guard him a different way with a different intensity and cause that instability, I guess, and kind of get in his mind that way because that would be pretty annoying. So who was it from Manly that they decided to rotate onto Loz Nicholson throughout the game? Went with just about all their, their stars. I think it was, was was it Fliss Henderson? Real, there, was, there was a couple of plays in a row where Loz didn't get a call going to the bus. I, I mean, may on one of them, probably could have. But then on the next play, I think it was I think it was Fliss. I don't remember. Not hundred percent sure. And they got really tangled up. You could tell just there that they they did get Lauren a little bit annoyed because she came back really physically after those two couple of plays. But yeah, there was times when, you know, Alex Delaney was on her, Bree was on her. You know, play, players who played less probably got more physical because they got a bit more fouls to play with. You know, you don't want Del- Delaney did get three foul, her third foul I think midway through the third quarter. Alex Delaney, that is. You know, you don't want her, you know, going ridiculously hard at someone and picking up, you know, that fourth or fifth foul too quickly. Me watching Lauren Nicholson and Alex Delaney. It's like that um, Simpsons episode where Marge and Homer are watching Bart and Lisa play ice hockey. And Marge is saying, you're not in competition with each other. We love you both. And then Homer barges in and is like, Apu just called. You're going to be in direct competition with each other. Fight, 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 fight. Honestly, watching those two go against each other is actually just so fun as a basketball fan, regardless of whether they're two of your favourite players on the planet or not. Manly just weren't, especially going to the rack, they were not afraid to contest it at any opportunity. Lauren finished with 8 of 10 at the line. Probably, yeah, like I said, there probably could have been another couple of calls went her way, but didn't. Sometimes that just happens on the night. The refs let a little bit more go. She'll be frustrated with the result. She should be very happy with the way she played, getting 32 points. 
We've spoken a lot as well, Lockie, in the past about depth and that the women's competition is very tight. And like we have alluded to already, the final placings will literally come down to the final round. But when we're comparing teams and trying to figure out who's going to end where and who's going to end up in the final, we have discussed a lot about uh, who's got the most depth. That's what it's going to come down to in the women's competition. And considering you mentioned that so many people were able to defensively rotate onto Nicholson, um, I think that is a reflection of Manly's depth in that sense and really going to be in their favour come finals time. Yeah, I was just about having a crack really for them, but they do, obviously they got some great defenders. We talked about Annie. Um, Alex will hold her own against Lauren and Flip Fleece, obviously, I mentioned earlier, isn't shy of a battle. If they have to shut down Nicole Munger to win a grand final, they might do exactly the same thing and just try to get her off her game. Newcastle, obviously, like Sutherland, have plenty of other good players on the team, but usually goes through Munger like it goes through Nicholson. Norse, a little bit different. Also a little bit different, but probably they're more on Sutherland's level than, you know, who you consider the real big contenders. But I think, yeah, if Manly need to shut down one player on a particular night and they recognise who that player is going to be and they can keep, you know, just throwing players just to stay in front and get them annoyed or try to get them annoyed, definitely a uh, an advantage they have over some others. And then they're mm-hmm. the kind of team where you can't just try to throw one player off because, as we saw on the Saturday, Alex Delaney and Kim Hodge weren't scoring massively and Bree Henderson ended up with 20... Uh, Bree Henderson. Bree Delaney. They're all related as well. Bree Delaney finished with 20 and 13. So, yeah, so while they can, yeah, shut down a, a team that's, you know, heavy on one player, it's not something you can do as easily against them. Yeah, so they're really shaping up well for finals. And you mentioned, you know, Maitland and Newcastle, and we've got to give a shout-out to Rachel Williams, who had a massive return-to-sender block in that game uh, where Maitland beat Newcastle at home in round 17. Uh, it looks like the last play was drawn up for Munger to shoot a three-pointer to tie the game because Maitland were already up by three after Dayla Walker hit two free throws. And Munger took a three with four seconds to play and Rachel Williams came up clutch with a massive block to make sure that Maitland won that game. So huge outcome for them. Maitland Mustangs just keep getting and better getting better and better throughout the season. I, I, certainly a team I think they, they're peaking at the right time and I, I think that we've probably said that before. I think if at the start of the season you'd have said Maitland men and Maitland women will have the same record with one week to play, you would have been laughed out of the room. Maitland coming off a grand final in the men and having, you know, struggled a bit last season in the women to, yeah, both be 14 and 7 at this stage. Not sure many people will have picked that. And I think it's the first time, it's certainly the first time in Maitland's history that the women's team have gone so far uh, in the season and to, to make the top eight of a finals. But I wonder if it's the first time where both of their teams have made top eight to the finals in the same season. Yeah, when was the last? I mean, I don't really remember. You know, they've been in and out of the league. Um, They had to pull out during COVID. It's been a long time since I can remember Maitland women being in a top eight. Maitland men have been regularly in the final. I have to scour the annals for that. And there was a time where they didn't have a women's team in this level of competition. They only had a state league team. That's true as well. Yes, I remember. My, yeah, when they when I first started watching, they had one, and then they dropped to state league, and then they came back, and then they were out. Now they're back in, and now they're 
They're flying. Full steam ahead for the Stangers. Up the Stangers. Up the Stangers. I actually own a Maitland Mustang stubby holder, so there you go. You know, a little bit of Mustangs merchandise floating around my house. So. That's the most Stangers merchandise you can get. <laughs> I think so. All right, very, very good. Very, very good indeed from the Sharks and Manly. We knew that was going to be an entertaining contest, and I'm glad that it was. Certainly was, but which game of the many exciting ones this week in the men did you take a look at? So I actually decided to take a look at the Inner West Bulls and the Bankstown Bruins game. Now, Bruins obviously not in finals contention, and Inner West have been certified second for the majority of the season so while we have said in previous episodes we were going to try and focus on games with uh, finals implications this one was a high scoring affair and the Bruins only losing by 12 points so I was pretty interested to see how it all played out first off just a off-court kind of point was that um, just a bit disappointing with the broadcast that the camera kept moving a lot of the game I think they had some trouble adjusting a good position for the camera and there was a lot of moving around and shaking and things like that at the start of the game. So anyone that gets a little bit seasick, you might need to fast forward past that because it's kind of given those like IMAX vibes. When you go and watch like an an IMAX about the ocean and you feel like you're on a boat and suddenly you're seasick. They had uh, obviously Matt McQuaid back in the commentary box and this time Jaden Thompson from the women's team was helping him as the expert commentator and she is doing a great job as an emerging female commentator. We like to see more female commentators in the league, but their mics were just a little bit too hot. Kind of turn it down a little bit when you review that game online. To put it short, it was a very entertaining game and for those who love basketball for all of the offensive stunts and dunks and three-point play, this was the game for you especially in the first quarter. The first quarter felt like it went for a really long time, but I think because it just had all of the highlights you would expect in one game happen in the first quarter. I think there were like three or four people on the Inner West Bulls that had a turn of getting a poster dunk. So I'm pretty sure CB had a couple, Higgins Titcher had a, had at least one, um, Tony Tolovai had one, one or two. Like he had some pretty big dunks as well. Still like so impressed with how much Tolovai can still compete at this level as well. I think uh, I can't remember if Isaac Signal had a big dunk, but he had some pretty decent minutes this game. Just played just under 19 minutes. He had three three point attempts, and I mean, just tried to like make his way into the game and probably cut his teeth a little bit more playing at this level. When I try and do my notes for a game review, I I divide the page into four and I do, you know, one team's offense, defense, the other team's offense, defense in a grid. And all of my notes are on offense. So that's pretty indicative of the type of game it was, giving the poster dunks in the first, the big threes in the first quarter, and the fact that my notes are mostly offensive. Uh, Basically, there were very little notes on defense because there wasn't a lot of defense played. I'm going to be very honest with you. I wonder if it's getting to that end of the season where it's dragging on a bit, 18 rounds and 20 to 22 games is a lot. And we've still got, you know, three, four rounds of finals to go. Uh, I imagine at this end of the season, you kind of just want it, the games won and done and over and done with. And defense is the one thing that's probably going to be lacking. So some of the things on defense, maybe I'll just do defense first. For the Inner West Bulls, I think um, they got stuck. Some of their uh, defensive transition was lacking at times, and that includes in the first part of the game. So even like Hayden Blankley had some 
nearly like three quarter court assists, uh, just being able to lob it and place it in the right area for someone running on transition and the Bulls were none the wiser. Uh, On the other defensive end, especially in the first quarter, the Bankstown Bruins committed two goaltending violations, one where the net was being hung onto when Higgins Titcher went up for uh, a layup, and I think the other was just a really late block on on another Higgins Titcher layup. So he had four points uh, automatically, and then I think he also got fouled on a couple of those possessions. So he ended up having like six very easy points. Uh, In terms of the rebound count, uh, it was 50 to 46 in favor of the Bulls. Interestingly, 14 to 13 for Bulls and Bruins respectively were offensive rebounds. So not not a lot of boxing out going on. but a lot of shots being put up to provide those opportunities for the 50 to 46 rebound count. Inner West Bulls making 79 field goal attempt and Bankstown Bruin making 76. I guess that's like um, Sutherland Manly a little bit with those 14 offensive rebounds. It was only about 25% offensive rebounding rate for Manly. It's probably about the same in this game. There's so many... So many misses that your offensive rebounding numbers uh, don't look so bad. Yeah, exactly. And especially when there's not a lot of physicality on defense being played, it was quite passive, quite reactive. I think sometimes those gaps open up a lot easier for offensive rebound. Um, And I think that was certainly the case in this game. On offense for the Bulls, straight out of the blocks, they were very well organized and they executed some of their opening half-court offenses really well. I really like the two-man game between Morrow and CB. Um, I think it was the second play of the game where CB ended up getting a nice, easy dunk on a backdoor play. So things like that is what I come to expect for the Bulls. But it was one of those games where because the defense was a little bit more passive, there were more one-on-one opportunities uh, for everyone like Bulls and Bruins, everyone had a go. Like anyone could take anyone one-on-one. And so sometimes it's easy to fall into that trap of, well, if I can just take them on -on one-on-one every time, I will. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a high percentage shot. And so that automatically then means your your team becomes very easily disorganized in the half-court offense. And there's certainly periods of the game in the first quarter, but mostly in the third quarter, where teams were just going up and back, up and back, up and back, with no real change in tempo or no one taking control to make sure some half-court offense was properly executed and and getting some stability in the game. Both teams hitting some nice transition threes. I really like how the Bankstown Bruins have improved their half-court offense in terms of execution a lot more. But they all seem a lot more confident with their of being individual scorers. Considering Hayden Blankley's statistics, he's not someone that actually really hogs the ball very much at all. Like he knows his time and place when he needs to go one-on-one or call for a pick and roll. And generally that's when the shot clock is winding down to 10 seconds and the Bruins don't have any other option. Otherwise, he's really great at distributing and shows a lot of trust in his teammate. Got to give a shout out to Kobe Shannon from the Bankstown Bruins, who also had a really great game. He had 18 points and uh, he was four from 10 from the three-point line. So that's not too bad. 40%. We'll take 40%. Um, The things that the Bulls did well, like I said, execution in the half court at most of the time, the two-man game between CB and um, Blake Morrow. There were lots of subs in the first quarter, probably for everyone to get a little bit of a taste for the game. The score at halftime was 60 to 47. So that's also probably reflective 
of how prolific the scoring was in this game. And CB had 19 points in the first half. Something interesting for the Bulls, Blake Morrow wasn't as aggressive in the one-on-one situations as he was compared to the Crusaders in the last round. I think some of his decision-making wasn't 100% at his best. There were times where he could have gone one-on-one and didn't take it, and then vice versa, where he took it one-on-one and probably didn't need to. And so he only found himself at the foul line four times. A little bit lower numbers for him, I think. The Bulls had 56 of their 102 points in the paint. So literally half of it just just in the paint. They had 40 40 of their 102 points from the bench. Pretty good shooting uh, field goal percentage overall with 51% for the whole game for the Inner West Bulls. However, their free throw percentage was 44%. And I'm like, come on, guys, that's my biggest gripe. (laughs) My biggest gripe is free throws. They were 12 from 27. They did did a great job getting to the line 27 times, but just... um, just couldn't reward themselves. So, but whereas for the Bruins, like I said, certainly becoming more confident and organized on the offensive end, they did a good job on exploiting that defensive transition, as I mentioned earlier, and their shooting has certainly improved. They probably need to, as a team, improve on decision-making. There were a couple of times where they made really sound decisions and uh, probably that was the times when they scored a lot of their three-pointers. Then there are other times where I think it was really easy to get swept up in the pace and the excitement of the game, and that probably impacted some people's decision-making on offense. I think for the Bruins in the future, what they've got right now is a really good foundation, like they're coming together really nicely. But I think they would greatly benefit from, A, improving their decision-making, and B, having a solid center. Because they've got some pretty decent guards, but they're just really lacking someone who can dominate on the inside in a in a physical and skill um, perspective, but someone that's really super confident of being able to be a go-to person. I don't think the Bruins really have a presence, in a strong presence inside, and the likes of CB were able to exploit that in this game. They had 22 assists for the game, which I thought was pretty good. This team certainly showing a lot of promise, I think, for, for next season. Hopefully they'll be able to retain most of their roster. Probably some of the highlight stats, Hayden Blankley had 30, 10, and 7. Like I said, Kobe Shannon had 18. And from Inner West Bulls, CB had 23 and 9. Alexander Higgins-Titcher had 19 and 9. So that was pretty much it, Lockie. You said earlier, you know, Bankstown can't make finals, but recruited Hayden Blankley and Kobe Shannon decent way into the season. So I think they're a much better team now than their record suggests. So they're obviously a decent test for Inner West heading into finals. And they've got Jack McWilliams, big seven foot one, but he's still so young. You know, he's only just not long out of COE and I think just a freshman in college. So, you know, coming up again, even at seven foot one, coming up against a grown man like CB, it's going to be uh, pretty tough, tough uh, assignment. Yeah, I didn't know that actually about Jack McWilliams. So that kind of explains a lot. I think metaphorically and literally, he's still finding his feet at this level. But the only way is up. Like, I mean, if he puts in the work in the offseason, he can be a totally different player next season. Definitely. I mean, like you said, if they keep if they keep the players who have been successful for them this season and, you know, maybe put a couple of new new names around them, I think, yeah, de- definitely solid solid foundation from which to work on. I mean, they've had that problem Bankstown last year. They had Lockie Anderson for part of the season. Um, you know, this year they had Hayden Blankley for some of the season. And shout out to Lockie Anderson for getting picked up by the Cairns Taipans, by the way. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Very cool indeed. Yeah. 
so you know, Bankstown, found, yeah, as you said, foundations. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they. It'll be really interesting to see who they retain, but also the Bankstown Bruins women's team have had a great job recruiting uh, their imports in Brittany and in Cappy. So it'd be great if the men's team could recruit imports of a silver caliber. And I think that will put them in a good stead. But yeah, that, I think that was about it for that game. All right. So Inner West now just about locked into second spot. They've still got that, still got to take care of business. Uh, I think they've got, who do they have? Like they've obviously got that big game against Norse, but if they are take care of business against Penrith in their second game of the weekend, that will be enough to clinch second spot regardless of the result against Norse. Yeah, so speaking of, uh, we did allude at the start of the episode we are going to probably get into the nitty-gritty of the ladder a little bit because you are certainly skilled in that area. So would you like to go back to women's or do you want to continue with the men's in terms of whoever beats who, this is what the final placing would be? What yeah, what well, have you looked at? You know, a lot of games that could go one way or the other. But one thing I will say is that I haven't found a combination of results that results in no tiebreakers. Everything is going to go to... Something is going to go to the split. And there is also multiple ways that the games can fall in which we end with four or five teams tied for third or fourth. There's a whole lot of three-way tiebreakers out there, especially between... Canberra, Norse, Maitland, Sutherland, Hills, and even Newcastle with all those teams being on 13 to 14 wins. But yeah, there's still opportunities out there for teams to finish in a four or five way tie. With some of the get results still not known, the maths is just crazy. Most of them rely on Sutherland beating Canberra, but then how much does Sutherland beat Canberra by? So at the moment, as I said, Centre of Excellence first. Inner West just need to beat Penrith and they'll lock down second spot. North and Canberra both with double headers this weekend. Maitland and Sutherland tied 14 and 7, both with only one game left. Uh, Hill still with two games left. Uh, Newcastle have to win at least one, have to win their only game to be anything but eighth if they lose their last game of the season. Bank- oh, to Bankstown, who have just called a test for teams. Uh, so that's actually a sneaky game. That could be a sneaky, like a little bit of a banana skin for Newcastle. Uh, they would finish 13 and 9 with a loss. Uh, I, when I talk about those four and five way ties, I even went into my spreadsheet and like said, let's assume COE beat Hills. Let's assume Inner West beat Penrith. You know, let's assume Newcastle beat Bankstown. And I still got a bunch of combinations that ended with four way ties. So, you know, even the games that you think are going to be like locks. Even if they go that way, it's still all up in the air. So we're probably not going to know things until right at the end of the round. Four games on Sunday. Hills, Canberra, North and Inner West all involved on Sunday. So we're not going to know the final makeup of the table until late Sunday afternoon. Whereas on the women's side, it's a little less jumbled up. A lot of two and three-way ties can still happen. It's more the fight for the last couple of final spots. Manly, Newcastle, North, or they're going to be the top three in some order. Manly and Newcastle can both still finish top. North can finish second or third. And I think Manly can only finish first or second. COE are locked into fourth. They cannot move from that spot. Um, Maitland and Sutherland. So Maitland have the head-to-head split. Sutherland have to go down to Canberra. Maitland have to go to Albury-Wodonga. They're tied at the moment 14-7, and seven, so they can both still finish 
fifth. Yeah, so that's the highest any of them can finish is uh, fifth. But if Southern lose both their game and Comets win both, Comets have got the head-to-head split. So Comets, whilst being 12-8, and eight, can still get up to tie with Sutherland at the moment. I think it would take a miracle of tiebreakers for Canberra to have a chance. They might not. They might be mathematically out, but I don't want to say it yet. The big one's obviously Aubrey Comets. That is huge on Friday night. Aubrey win that. They go to 12 wins. They keep ahead of Bankstown and pretty much lock it in. They lose. Then they would have to beat Maitland to assure themselves of a final spot. Then again, Bankstown have got to beat Newcastle. They want to make it. So still so much to uh, unpack there as well. So not those big four-way ties and the top four teams are set. So we know who's going to be hosting the women's finals, Manly, Newcastle, North and CLE. If you live on the South, if you live on the South side, you're a you know three quarters of the way chance to uh, be traveling over the bridge. Sutherland and Maitland in. Comets have got to get a win to assure themselves, but they play North. So so close. And that's what we love. How good is it? Who wants a finals known going into the final round? That'd be boring. Yeah, it would be boring. Like I said, us like in previous episodes, we've said us as fans and commentators love this excitement. It certainly adds a lot of pressure to the players and the coaches. So essentially for the women, fifth to eighth is still TBC, pending on lots of results. Pretty and much. For the men, it looks like did you say like fourth to eight is still TBC for the oh. men? For simplicity's sake, only say in a West Beat Penrith, then third to eight, the order could still be jumbled up in any number of ways, uh, depending on tiebreakers, who beats who by how many points this weekend. Yeah, there's a level of reassurance of being automatic, you know, being qualified for finals. And then there's the added pressure of where are you going to place? Because much as uh, you can qualify for finals, um, it could all come down to who you play in that quarters and then you get, your season could be done. Well, funny you say that. We were talking after the Sutherland game. So Sutherland go to Canberra this week. Depending on results, that could finish Canberra fourth, Sutherland fifth. So it would again be Canberra versus Sutherland in Canberra. And then if Sutherland win that, the winner of that game plays the winner of 1v8, which would probably be COE, which means Sutherland would have to go to Canberra a third week in a row to play COE and then play, if they win that, play the grand final in Sydney. Start saving your pennies for the petrol money now in case you have to go to Canberra three times. At least Sutherland is uh, quite close to the freeway just to jump on to head down south. No. South, south and inland, I should say. Yeah, it's not it's not as close as you think with it being, um, yeah, we're, we're so far over to the east side that it's not as close as it feels. But okay, so lots to look forward to. Come around 18, we'll be waiting with great anticipation Certainly results. Um, I can guarantee that a lot of teams as well, once their games are finished, they'll be eagerly anticipating the results of the other games. Like how soon can some teams expect the turnaround to confirm A, they've made it and B, where they've placed? Is it something that should be instantly available for teams? If you know the breakdown of tiebreakers and look at the results, you can pretty well work it out. But um, the fact in the men's, especially that Hills, 
Hills, Canberra, North and Inner West all play on the Sunday afternoon. Even the Saturday results probably aren't going to be enough to lock anyone from third to eighth into a position. On the women's side, it might be a little bit um, little bit uh, easier to figure out, especially um, like that Inner West Penrith game on the women's side isn't going to have any bearing on finals. Um, I don't know if Illawarra Canberra will. So sorry, then there is no fourth game because it's Hill COE on the men. And then that Norse Comets game might be the only one that matters to the women's finals placings on the Sunday. Everyone get your NBL1 apps out and ready for next week because it's going to be a hell of a week. It um, certainly is. One heart's lost, I think. Time for some news, gossip, and shout-outs. Lockie, I know you've got some things lined up. Do you want to start? All right, well, we'll, we'll kick off with our two NBL One East players who are coming back with Under-16's Asia Cup gold after the Sapphires got over Japan in a thriller on the weekend. Watch that game. I watched the final. Yeah, Storm Tome in the fourth quarter. So Jay Crook from Albury Wodonga. And then uh, recent addition to the Centre of Excellence, Lara Somfai, originally out of South Australia. Both members of that squad. So congratulations to them. Oh, I should say, I, I believe that um, part of the win was a very strong 12-2 run home. And that was also courtesy of Ruby Perkins and Jesse May from Bankstown. So an, a, Ruby Perkins from North, Jesse May from Bankstown. So two more New South Wales girls d- getting it done for Australia. Future NBL One East players, we hope to see. <laughs> Probably for COE. <laughs> Moving on, there's another international competition, which you are involved in in some way, but also plenty of NBL One East players over there as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's the FIBA Under-19 Women's Basketball World Cup held in Madrid in Spain. And the majority of the roster is made up of current COE athletes that we've seen featured in NBL One East this season or former COE athletes, uh, with the exception of probably four players who weren't from the COE. Former athletes like Nadio Poch and Izzy Borlase are... Uh, leading the charge at the moment. Um, Izzy Borle is just hitting eight out of ten threes against Argentina this morning. And uh, current COE athletes that have played in NBL 1A that are in this squad include the likes of Jess Petrie, Isla Jaffermans, uh, Saffron Shields, Jada Clark, uh, Ruby Gray. And of course, it would be remiss not to mention that the head coach of that U16 Asia Cup team, the Sapphires, is the one and only Tom Garlip, former slash fill-in slash whenever he's needed head coach of the North Women, and also assistant coach, former Hornsby Spider and Sydney Uni Flame, Sarah Graham. Oh, of course. That is another NBL One East connection there with uh, Sarah Graham. Very nice pickup. And uh, we will give a shout-out to Coach David Herbert as well, who is the current COE coach who's coaching the under-19s gems in Spain. Uh, so lots of connections between uh, world-class championships and NBL One East. Very good to see. So uh, in case anyone wants to watch some of those games, uh, they're all streamed on the FIBA YouTube channel. Most of the Australian games, though, unfortunately, are between 4.15 and 4.45 in the morning. So myself, I am Tar, have been asked to commentate some of those, some of those games. This morning I commentated USA versus Germany at 2.15 in the morning. <laughs> Went to bed at four and got up to work from home at eight. Good times. It's been a day. It's been an absolute day for me. It's the good life. (laughs) It's the good life. That's right. I think the only thing uh, 
In terms of news and gossip that I would like to add, it was recently announced that Matt Gray from the Maitland Mustangs has signed to Seven Management. Seven Management is owned and run by Sean Tribe, who is actually Ben Simmons' half-brother. So it'd be really interesting to see where that management is able to take Matt Gray and where his game ends up landing. Perhaps a European prospect, I'm not too sure. I know that after we gave him a couple of shout-outs earlier in the season that he did end up having a little bit of NBL interest. Speaking of NBL interest, I have heard on the grapevine that uh, Alex Higgins-Titcher from Inner West Bulls has actually been attending a couple of training camps with some NBL teams, including the likes of the Hawks, the Kings and the Bullets. But uh, if you need some photographic evidence of NBL NBL 1 East alumni rubbing shoulders with the NBL greats. Head over to an account by Sam Tollhurst, who goes by Tollywood on Instagram. And uh, who will you see in some of the recent stories, Lockie? I haven't been on Insta today, uh, but I have been on Twitter, and I've seen the one and only CB, Chris Bryant, going toe-to-toe with Geordie Hunter. Yes, correct, correct. We do know that CB, you know, he's let us know on Twitter. He has been doing a couple of training sessions with the Sydney Kings, which is awesome. And now the proof is in the punch online. Geordie Hunter posting up against CB. Geordie Hunter's also a Norse Bear junior, am I right? I'm going to say yes. (laughs) (laughs) Got me on that one. (laughs) I'm sure someone will DM me, would DM us on Instagram and, and correct us if we're wrong. I've got... One shout out, and it is the best shout out I have all season. And it is a shout out to the Sutherland Sharks under 12 Div 3 girls who make the best signs. If you watch the Sutherland games, you'll know I talk about them every game because we zoom in on them during timeouts. They've got one for Eliza Fabro that says awesome AF. I'm sure you all get what that means. They've got a great white shark one for Liv White. They've got a Chuck Norris, Maddie Norris one. They've got Chuck Norris, Texas Ranger, Maddie Norris, three-point danger. They've got one for Coach Pat Williamson from the men's team of Pac-Man, as in Batman. Oh, they have M. Garland Leviosa, a Harry Potter shout-out. And then they have the best one is the one, well, the one I like the most. So Jordan Dewhurst spells her name with a Y, not an A. So they've got the Jordan logo in the right font, but with the upside down jump man to make it look like a Y instead of an A. But this week they made a side just for me. We posted on the story on Insta. It's I've got it up on my personal account um, at Lockie Heel, H-E-E-L. It's a picture. It's just me in my hoodie with my headphones on. And what I say at the end of every game, I've got two, two signature things. Barry's the three. And after every game, I say, I've been Lockie France and you, as in you, the viewer, have been amazing. And their sign says, we've been under 12 girls div three and you've been amazing. And you know the best part? They made their grand final this week. So I'm so happy for them. Thank you so much, girls. And one of the parents helped make the signs. Um, yeah, thanks so much. Um, so appreciative to know that there are people out there who enjoy my commentary. I totally I totally agree though, Lockie. That is certainly the best shout out of the podcast so far. The fact that they A can't turn up to every game so they can support their local team. And those signs are just next level. 
and they obviously, like you said, enjoy your commentary and appreciate your contribution to the club in that way to make a sign for the last home game. That's really touching. I love those stories. I, I love it. Yeah, so honestly couldn't believe it. Someone came to me and said, they've got a sign just for you, Lockie. And I'm like, no, they must they, they must have meant like Lockie Hutchison. And it's me, Lockie. <laughs> I'm the Lockie that they're talking about. <laughs> and those signs are quality. Like I highly recommend if you can, going on Instagram and looking at it, it's not just some kind of like piece of cardboard with a texter in writing. Some time and effort and yeah. serious planning have gone into it and a lot of love. Yeah. So um, I really, really enjoy those stories, especially at this NBL One East level where we can still get around our basketball communities like that. So well done, girls, for not only a signage but for also making the finals for this season. Just a side note, you had you mentioned the Eliza Fabro AF sign. Mm. Uh, we know what that means, but do the under twelve Div three girls know what that means? Yeah, kids are pretty cluey these days. Yeah, <laughs> I think that one might have been the, um like the sign for me. I think that might have been the uh the father's uh idea <laughs> i'm guessing he's probably influenced them with the chuck norris reference as well because i can't imagine a lot of 11 10 and 11 year olds will know who chuck norris is these days uh, i don't know but they certainly lap it up they love it it's so good but enough about the under 12 dip three girls let's get on to the all-stars on the court yeah i totally agree and considering you kicked off the episode with the results and the ladder for the women how about you take us away with the all-star five for the women I certainly can do that. And it was a tough one because there were some players who had some big performances, but they came in losses. And sometimes you just got to give it to the player who gets the dub. So like Michaela Dompkins had a big game. Mizuki Wakamatsu had 33 for Hornsby, but it was in a 74-point defeat to Comets. Michaela Pivik narrowly missing out on a triple-double and also narrowly missing out on an all-star five spot. Away we go, starting off with Nicole Munger, 35 points, 15 rebounds, two assists, two steals, almost getting Maitland over the line. Massive performance from Nicole, like Lauren Nicholson, you know, put the team on her back and almost got them over the line. And Lauren Nicholson is the second entrant into the All-Star 5 with 32 points, three rebounds, four assists, and three steals in our earlier discussed loss to Manly Warringah. But the performance of the week... You already know, Squin. Emily Simons from the North Bears, 47 points, 9 rebounds, 2 assists, 4 steals, almost beating Penrith on her own in a 91-50 victory. And then Jada Crawshaw from Comets, 29 points, 15 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals in the big 125-54 win over Hornsby Karingai. And then I asked for the double-double, she gave me the double, 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 double. It's Cappy. Violet Capri Morrow from Bankstown. 17 points, 12 rebounds, and four assists against Inner West in a 78-68 win. And then 15 points, 13 rebounds, four assists, and a steal in a 67-59 win over Hills, which she did without her running mate, Brittany Wright, as well. So Brittany didn't actually play in the second game. I was still able to get the win up where Bankstown in that one. Again, a hotly contested All-Star 5. Uh, very good to see so many teams putting up big numbers so late in the season. But that 47 points from Emily Simons, oh my gosh, 47 out of the team total, 91 points. So literally more than half of her team score. Like three players almost putting, you know, Munger, close to half. Nicholson, more than half. Simons, more than half. Players just going off. And not players that are known as, you know, you know, ISO ball ball hogs who just chuck up shots. Like good scorers who play good team ball. 
And the one thing those three have in common is that they all attended the Asia Cup in some way. So M. Simons being in the operations team, Munger was there as a spectator, and obviously Loz Nicholson was there competing. So there's something to be said about going to watch quality basketball in the flesh and how much that impacts your game. I honestly don't think people, especially young people, watch enough basketball and realise how much that can influence your game just by watching it, absorbing it and visualising it. 100%. And if you're a player who wants to make the next level, if, whether it's you want to step from college to WNBA, if you want to step from NBL 1 to WNBL, and you don't know the players you're coming up against at the next level, you've got to learn from scratch. Like you think summer league now, the guys who watch other college players probably have a leg up on the guys who come in and just you know don't absorb basketball outside of playing yeah how do you how do you know if you're aspiring to get to that next level how do you truly know what it's going to take unless you go and watch that level because otherwise you're just going through drills and doing so-called you know general hard work to get better but unless you start targeting specifics of what's going to make you better then it's probably just going to be hard work that's lost really is that how you got to the next level squint i did and uh, I haven't been back since. It's been a long time. It's been a long, long time since I got to that next level. And I don't think I'll ever be able to return but, at any level. But there's not a lot of players out there who can say they got to the same level you did. This is true. This is true. It is, it was certainly a privilege, especially to be coached by one of the greats in Cary Graff. So I can definitely <laughs> take that away with me. But yeah, I had uh, the men's All-Star 5. Also a little bit tricky. The way that I chose the All-Star 5 was in a matter of also stats as per usual, but also context in the game. So some of the honourable mentions was CB who had 23 and 9 versus Bankstown, uh, Jameer Coleman who had 22 and 11 versus Gunners, and, uh, Elijah Washington who had 24 and 9 in 23 minutes against the Spiders. But uh, my All-Star 5 today is going to start off with Will Davo Hickey who had a triple-double against the Central Coast Crusaders with 15 points, 10 rebounds, and 16 assists. So how often can you say that I had more assists than points in a game? Not very often, especially when it's 16 assists. Next, uh, Hayden Blankley from Bankstown. He had a really big weekend for his team, having to back up playing in the West Bulls and then Hills Hornets the next day. So against the Bulls, he had 30 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists. And versus the Hornets, he had 21 points, 15 rebounds, and 7 assists. So Blankley has been very close to a triple-double all season. I'm really hoping that he finds a way or his team can support him to get one in the final round next week. Uh, then it was Dahl Feig versus the Bandits. And I tell you what, Lockie, Dahl Feig is well and truly back. He had 27 points, 5 rebounds, and 4 assists in a win against the Bandits in just 29 minutes. Then I had Anthony Gaines from Newcastle, purely because it was a must-win game for Newcastle and, of course, the extra added pressure of hosting a crosstown rivalry match at home. Uh, and he did a little bit of everything. So he had 18 points, 11 rebounds, 4 or 6, and 6 steals against Maitland. And then on the other side of that, Will cranston Lown was just doing as much as he possibly could for Maitland in the same game. And he had 18 points, four rebounds, five assists, and six steals as well. So a very similar game between those two, almost mirroring each other with Gaines just getting a few more rebounds than Cranston Lown. Uh, so that tops off my All-Star 5. 
when you said Dolph being as well and truly back, I'm sitting here fist pumping and then I realise, oh wait, my team actually has to go and play him next week. So it's a similar conflict you were describing before the Simpsons reference when Loz Nicholson and Alex Delaney play each other. Now you're like, oh yes, Dalfeig. Oh no, it's against my club. Uh, I also wonder if, if he's starting to peak at the right time and Canberra Gunners are starting to peak at the right time. I mean, they're going to be really pushing to go back to back, I think. Oh, they certainly are. And, you know, as I said earlier, there's so much that can shake out in the ladder. They can still technically finish uh, third so you know if they can do that well it's that close it might not be that much of an easier quarterfinal but at least on paper final against a lower a lower team see what happens definitely and uh so that concludes the regular part of our episode but stick around because we're going to have an interview uh with a player who has been around the nbl one ace for a little while stick around for that and welcome back. We are now into the interview portion of our episode on East Got Game. And we have someone who has already played at an international level at the FIBA uh, Polynesia Cup. He's also someone who has played for clubs such as Hills, Bankstown, and uh, also Hornsby this season as uh, one of the star point guards of the league. It is Sharif Saipaya. How are you, Sharif? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? It's good? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks, mate. Pretty good. Just the daily grind of a Monday as per usual. It might be a little bit yeah. different for you as an athlete. <laughs> nah, nah. Same, same. All, you know, I've got to work with you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> How was your day been today? Anything special? No, nah, nothing really. Just uh, a lot of training. Just gym training. I've got one more gym session later tonight. Just, just nothing crazy. Later tonight? Yeah, no, I just got late. Sometimes I go late at night because there's just more dead. <laughs> there's no one there. So you can just do a lot of the basketball stuff that doesn't look weird in the gym. So, yeah. As I mentioned uh, in our intro, you've actually represented Samoa at the FIBA Polynesian Cup in November last year that was held at Cook Islands. You averaged 25 points a game, seven rebounds and four assists. Tell us yeah. all about that experience because that is something that I didn't expect to see on your resume. Honestly, it was um, – I didn't even expect it, to be honest. It was actually a surprise. Um, I wasn't planning on playing. I got asked by a guy that's actually in NBL 1 and he plays for Inner West, Bulls, Tony Tolivai. He's someone as well. He's one of the boys growing up. I'm oh, not growing up. I've heard of him growing up, but like I didn't really know him personally or anything. But then he hit me up and um, he said, oh, I should try and put my name down for the Samoan team. And, uh, I, you know, I, I put my name down. Uh, luckily, I got the opportunity to play. You know, it was an amazing experience. I don't know how to explain it. But it's, just, it's a whole different type of basketball than here. Like, the technical side of it over here is so much better. Like, it just, it just isn't naturally. But the physical side and the pride side when you're representing the country is just on a whole different level. I don't know how to explain it. It's just, um, it, was a, it was an amazing opportunity. And, like, honestly, I would never take that back. That was such a... It was, honestly, like... And seeing my family, how they were proud, that was actually crazy. So, yeah, playing there was crazy. It was, an, it was an amazing experience traveling the world, going to Samoa for training camp, going to New Zealand for the tournament. Even one of my boys, Billy Army, he plays in the plays in this, um, the North Conference. For, um, he's playing for... Who's he playing for now? I'm not mind blank. But he's playing for... Yeah, he's, he's playing for someone in the North Conference. He played for Tonga. So we got actually got to meet up there as well. So that's pretty cool. It was good. I didn't expect it either, to be honest. But it was an amazing experience. Honestly, good. So how many of the players were based in Samoa, and how many had come from other countries, like yourself from Australia? 
so there was, I think, only three of us that were from Australia. Uh, one from Melbourne. Um, he played in the, I think it's the VBL or something like that, like the league just on the NBL one over there. And then we had me and my and my teammate this year, Aina. Big up to Aina. One of the best teammates I've ever had, actually, to be honest. He's the most pure, purest guy. Uh, he came with me. Um, I actually forced him to come. <laughs> he didn't want to play at first. He was ready to give up on basketball, but I didn't want him to. He came and now he's still in love with it again. So, yeah, there were three of us and seven seven local boys from Samoa. So they try to keep it some local boys in there so that we could, you know, like actually have a genuine Samoan team and go try and see how far we could go. Because how does one go about reaching out to a developing basketball country in a sense that, you know, still some emerging talent and not very well represented on the world stage? So how do you go about finding anyone to contact about joining the Samoan team? It was, luckily enough, it was... um, Tony showed me a link on Facebook. They posted something to the Samoan page for basketball, uh, Samoan basketball. They were asking players to send in their, send in their like highlight tapes and that. Only thing I had was from NBA One last year when I played at Bankstown. And uh, so yeah, I showed them that. I just put my stats there, and then I showed them, you know, Youth League uh, the year before that, that's ABA, and then yeah, luckily it went through a whole process where it was just interviews after interviews. Like I had four interviews with the coach, Paul Lele. Yeah, and she just liked my like she basically liked like what I was saying, you know, character wise, what I wanted to do with the team, and that it wasn't just like I didn't want to go in there and just be like, oh, it's all about me. I want to show out this and that. Like I actually wanted to win. I wanted to try and win that. So it was an amazing experience, honestly. But yeah, if, man, I, I hopefully that was a good stepping stone for everybody over here, like the younger boys, Samoan boys. I know there's a few boys, like in my team, Moses, Bartley, or just some other boys, you know, coming up that Samoan. Hopefully that shows them that they can do it too and go represent our country. Because it's, it's something we've seen in um, other sports lately, like in rugby league, Samoa and Tonga especially are getting so many of the guys who even have played for Australia are, are choosing to play for Samoa and Tonga. So it's, yeah. like it's, it's been a real push lately. Yeah, I mean, they take it like over there when I was in Saad, they, you know, I was, it was it was crazy. I didn't know, I didn't think anyone would know me, like, but like they they heard that there was an import coming, and oh, and obviously I'm the only one of the few white boys there. So <laughs> when I'm walking around, they're like, oh, he's the basketball player, and it was amazing. That the, the pride they took, I was getting phone calls mid tournament, just saying how proud they were of how I was playing, how I was leading the team, and it was an amazing experience. Honestly, I can't, I can't. I can't thank the coach and them giving me the opportunity enough, honestly. Was that fever level of competition uh, what you were expecting when you got there? So, obviously, I don't want to ban my from you, but, like, the physicality was a shock. Physicality was a shock. It was insane. I was so strong over there. (laughs) I come over here, I'm a bigger guard, you know what I mean? So, from over here to there, I was, like, getting banged and I was getting hit. And I was like, oh, wow, this is is different. But... uh, Obviously, like, just we're more developed over here in Australia. Like, just the basketball, the skill level, the, the technicalities of everything, just for work-wise, everything is just, it's just, it's just better here, you know, it's just naturally. And um, I, I, that's what, that was one thing that I got to go over there and help in training camp or teach some of the boys some stuff, you know, like concepts and stuff and that, like, we've learned over here growing up. That was a lot easier for us. But, yeah, it was honestly, like, when I met, matched up with Tonga and Tahiti and that, like, that's when you saw, oh, okay, like, this is international level. This is where you got to kind of step up and play, you know. So it was good. It was amazing. That was a good eye-opener and good uh, realisation of like, where I was at as a player. And where did you finish in that tournament? Did you get a medal? Yeah, we got bronze. We got bronze. If we won our last game against Tahiti, actually, we would have got gold. So it was it was a, it was a close game. We were up 20 and a half and, and then we just kind of slowed down. Yeah, that still haunts me. <laughs> but it's all right. I'll, I'll see them soon. I'm going to get some back eventually. <laughs> it's all right. So uh, did you have any Polynesian... Uh, 
basketball role models growing up? Basketball-wise, no. Honestly, I didn't really... I didn't really, I didn't really have anybody Samoan community or Polynesian community in general like that I knew. Of. Obviously, like I said, I heard names before, like Tony. I always heard about Tony. Like it was coming up, apparently he was the man back then. So, like I always heard him. And um, I, I grew up playing streetball, so I had this one guy. Uh, he played college over D three. His name is Daniel. He's a Tongan boy, Tongan American. He taught me some stuff as well, but. Like I just, I never really had anybody except for like my dad. My dad basically was the only one that taught me. He didn't even play basketball. Like he just searched stuff on YouTube how to do a crossover, and he was teaching me. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? then he said go play streetball, and it's the only way you're gonna learn. I had role models outside of the sport, which was what I needed more than anything. I, I think basketball was just gonna. I was always gonna learn through streetball. Streetball was the best thing for me. Where did you play streetball? Was that uh, locally? Yeah, I, I, I'm from like Liverway, Liverpool. So we have a court called uh, Collymore. I grew up there, so that, 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 that place is special to me. And all the boys there I grew up with are special to me. And, yeah, they, honestly, like, even though most of them are not hoopers, like, they've got the most heart I've ever seen. And they play, they come at me. Like, I, like even though, like, you know, I'm a hooper, they would come, like, the whole night, four hours, five hours straight, just playing hooping, just trying to get me. So it was good. It taught me heaps. And it taught me how to play with heart, you know, and how to – and, like, I obviously learned from the boys that were – that did come that, like, actually hooped. They used to come playing street ball. I had to learn from them, like getting my ass kicked when I was younger, you know what I mean? So it was good. So a lot of street ball culture I have only learned in the last two years out in Western Sydney, and that was through one of my friends, Josie, who runs the Promote the Goat account. Josie's, uh, Josie's, Josie's mad. She's, she's been trying to do this for, for a while now. I, I mean, I think I was her first, uh, her, me and her brother were the first athletes to ever be on her page. It was pretty cool, you know, seeing what she was trying to do and all that. And like for me, like growing up, like I like I said, like I just played streetball. I was I played streetball, and then I'd go got I got literally like forced into a five and five standing one time and just got into rep somehow. I don't even know how. Can't remember, <laughs> but yeah. And then it just worked out. Like I was lucky to have good coaches, and um, they kind of taught me how to play proper basketball because obviously you can't play streetball in like little five and five games. And uh, and I learned that the hard way, but it was good. Like, it was good with those coaches, honestly. And you also play a bit of 3x3. And apparently, according to your FIBA profile, you've got a second nationality. You're listed as Lebanese. Yeah, yeah so I'm half... My dad's Samoan. My mom's Lebanese, which is, you know, it's a blessing and it's also a curse. <laughs> but um, but honestly, it's, it's amazing. Um, like, uh, my plan is eventually to represent my mom's country. Uh, I want to represent Lebanon one day. And I, I also, you know, I've got some stuff happening maybe and we're, like we're looking at trying to go overseas playing pro over there as well. So we've got some, yeah, we're just seeing what's the go for that. And uh, yeah, but the, the goal eventually is to play pro in Lebanon. I play, I play for Lebanon, sorry. I play for Lebanon. I want to play for Lebanon, represent my mom's country. I've done my dad's side, you know what I mean? Now it's in my mom's turn, I've got to do her breath. Yeah, because it seems like FIBA are becoming more flexible when people want to switch nationalities that they register with. Like, for example, uh, Talia Tupaya grew up playing juniors for Australia and now she, as a senior, she is FIBA registered to play for New Zealand and played for the Tall Ferns at the Asia Cup recently. So it yeah. looks like you can have that uh, duality uh, in your future. Oh, I mean, yeah, like funny story about Talia, I've known her since school. We went to the same school. Like it was... So it, we went to the same school and uh, I remember just watching her when we were younger. And I swear, like, it was one of the few, like, you know, like, I used to sit back. I used to watch her. There was a few, few people, boys or girls, would sit back and be like, oh, she's tough. What the hell? Like, I remember watching her playing one-on-one with, like, like, NBA, like WNBL girls and that. I was like, oh, this girl's killing it. And she's, like, 16 at the time. I'm like, oh, my God. 
but uh, good on her, honestly. Like, I'm glad that she got to represent the New Zealand club as well. And uh, we got the 3x3 information from, uh, it looks like he played at a Hills tournament in 2021 with the Crossover Kings. So shout out to the Crossover Kings. Very cool name for 3x3. Um, <laughs> considering, like you said, you grew up playing street ball um, and now you both play 5-on-5 five five and 3x3. Have you developed a preference between either style of play just yet? The three, obviously, the three three was a lot easier for me. Just like, especially coming from a street ball background, it was so much more space. You know, you come off one on board, they're switching. You've got a big one, you can just dance and have fun with them. But, but um, honestly, I prefer five on five. I think that's the, the route I'm going to take. Always love watching, you know, like the pro leagues, like NBA, NBA. I've always loved watching those guys, you know, play five on five. So. I think you know that's that's why I prefer to do. But obviously, as a like from my background as a street baller, like three and three was always just natural. It was just a lot easier for me just to play. You mentioned you're from Southwestern Sydney, and you played for Bankstown, you played for Hills, and now you've joined Hornsby for their first season. Um, yeah. Why why go to a club starting their first season as opposed to a more established team this year? Yeah, you're right. Honestly, it was the main, the biggest thing for me was uh, getting out of my comfort zone this year and like challenging myself. I wanted to really challenge myself this year and see what I could do, having the pressure all on me. And obviously, you know, like we didn't win as many games as I wanted to. We didn't perform as well as what we did as a team. You know, like that was the biggest challenge for me. I wanted to be in a situation that because at Bankstown I was so comfortable. You know, like I grew up there from. On the 16th bottom age to youth league, I took a year and a half off and came back, you know, and I went still at Bankstown. And then here was the reason I was there because it was Delmas Green, Josh Green's dad. He called me up and got me to play in under 14s and that. So I was comfortable all through those years. And, you know, I just wanted to push myself this year. I wanted to be in an uncomfortable situation. And um, I wanted to just test myself, see where I was at. You know, it was me in the court and see what I could do personally and how I could make teammates better and what I needed to improve on. That's the biggest thing. I wanted to see what I could improve on. And, you know, for my game further on, that was the biggest thing for me. So, yeah, that was the main reason. Also, Hesh, I have a good relationship with Hesh. He was the coach. So he kind of, you know, gave me a conversation. He was the first person to have a conversation with me in offseason. Yeah, we had good talks in offseason about what we wanted to do, what were our goals. So obviously, we didn't reach what we thought we were going to reach or what we thought we could have did. But it was a good stepping stone, especially for the younger boys. And uh, so what are those some of the things that you've learned about yourself this t- season? Uh, you mentioned, you know, you went to challenge yourself, what you can improve on. Tell us some of the pros and cons. Obviously, coming like, like I said, coming from a street ball background, you tend to try and do stuff by yourself sometimes and that was and the biggest thing for me I was always uh, if stuff started to go wrong I'll just put it on myself and just try and go one and five so me slowly throughout the season trying to get out of that and like be a point guard and find the balance between being aggressive and um, being a point guard at the same time uh, I struggled with that early in the season like I had games where I was a real too aggressive and then I had a game like Aubrey at Aubrey where I shot like four times you know what I mean like it was it was a bit of a struggle early in the season is finding that balance. And then when um, we had a team meeting, actually, after that Aubrey game, that was the biggest thing that happened. And the boys basically just put their confidence in me. They said, Riff, you need to be ultra-aggressive and we're going to live with the decisions you make. And that's what really got myself out of my own head. I said, just play your game. Like, you know, you're going to develop. The, like, I had natural instinct is always going to be there, but it's going to develop the knowledge of seeing what people do, you know, all that other stuff. Once they gave me that confidence and I saw the boys were buying into me, that helped us a lot. And we started getting into really close games, like in the West, we had a close game at our house. Uh, Illawarra, we had a close game at their house. 
Like it was just close game after close game. Just couldn't finish it, but it was good. I think what I learned there, yeah, that was one big thing I learned. And another thing I learned was just, you know, just being confident. The biggest thing is being confident out there. I mean, I was confident out there. I felt like I could do whatever I wanted to. So it was good. I just wanted to be comfortable out there and confident. That was a big thing. It's really interesting you mentioned that because uh, Lockie and I interviewed Freddie Webb from Illawarra uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he said similar things. Am I right, Lockie, in terms of having his teammates and coaches instill confidence in him? Yeah, pretty mm. much. Um, yeah, he's, that's pretty much exactly what he said. Um, yeah, when when they said, you know, yeah, don't don't worry about the mistakes. We're going to live with, you know, we we know you're good to get the next one, kind of thing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that changes a whole lot of things, especially because you know, especially as a point guard, you got the ball in your head majority of the time. You know. You, got to think of everybody you know you're not a, you're not a shooting guard you're not a small forward you're not on the wings you're catching it and you can do it like a point guard you have to think for everyone make sure everyone can touch it so when everyone said Sharif do your thing you know like it was it was, it was amazing because I, I kind of had a feeling of like okay they got my back I can do I can do whatever now with these boys supporting me so it was good and do, do you feel like you've developed as a leader this season I felt like yeah I felt like I developed more during the season I felt at the start it was a bit of a hit and miss like some games, like I struggled just mentally, just staying composed. But later on in the season, even just when, even when I was, uh, and I sat out for a bit, like I was still there, I was present, trying to be present while I was sitting on the bench talking to the boys, uh, especially to like the guards, especially you know like Moses and all those boys, just giving them insight of what I've seen and what I, what I was seeing when I was out there, and it was good. I think you know, I think obviously there's always room for improvement, and I still got a long way to go. Uh, honestly, I feel like I took steps this year, and it was a bit. Best thing for me to get out of my comfort zone is to just really test myself and see where I was at. It's interesting you keep referring to some of the members in your team as young fellas and you're taking on such a strong leadership role, but I imagine you're still pretty young yourself. Yeah, yeah. So this is honestly, this is a, I was talking about it with one of the boys. It was my first year really being a vet. I was, it was so weird coming into preseason because every year I've been like the youngest, like the youngest or second youngest. Like last year, me, Nico, Tim and Era from you know, with the Bulls when we were at Bankstown, we were like both the youngest boys, you know what I mean? So now I come to this situation here and I look around and I'm seeing boys at 19 and they're 20. I'm like, oh my God, like I forgot, I forgot how, like, how that was. It was a bit of a change. And like, obviously I'm still young myself. So I still uh, kept in contact with the vets that I grew up, you know, like I would go to Markovic, Steve Markovic, to ask him questions. I would go up to like Labs and Bodney and Fozzie and Buster, my old coach. And I've asked him questions about everything, you know. And even DK, DK was really good with me from Inner Bulls, Daniel Kim, the coach. He, I contacted him maybe during the season, seeing where, like, what he thought about what I could do better on. And, like, he gave me the same advice, really. He said, play your game, figure your game out, and everyone else will follow with you to make sure of that. I was like, okay, sweet, you know what I mean? Yeah, I had good people around me to help me through this process. And obviously, I still got a long way to go, like I said, but it was a good step towards it getting there. You, know, you mentioned, you know, the team hasn't won as many games as you'd like, but you've been very, very close in a lot of games. I think it became a theme on the on the podcast for a few weeks, yeah. how close you'd been. Um, but does it feel like, you know, you, you're building a solid foundation, you know, Get, got some players in there that you can build something for the future with? I feel like if that core group of the young boys stay together, I feel like, you know, you keep, you know, uh, Breffo, 
you keep Moses there, you keep maybe Paytook over there, like you keep a good core group of young boys that were there this year. I feel like, yeah, 100%. And you give them a chance to grow. I feel like you give them more of a responsibility this year, maybe, or the, the years coming, like to really have the ball in their hands and make decisions and do stuff with them. Like, I feel like, yeah, 100%. They've got like a lot of potential, those boys. I think they just need the chance to really just make mistakes. I think, you know, like at the end of the day, that's just how you're going to learn. You're going to go out there, you're going to get pumped by 40 some games, you're going to lose by one. And you might win by one, you know what I mean? Like, that was the story of our season. I feel like for them, like, like they keep that core group of those young boys together. I feel like, yeah, 100%, I think they've got something to build on there. Was it hard to regroup sometimes as a team after some of those one-point losses? Because especially during the middle of the season, I think you guys lost some close games. Like, I think it was three or four games in a row you lost by one or two points. So it must be hard to keep the morale high in that situation. Oh, it was it was it was hard. Even I struggled. I, I I remember after that Canberra game, especially. I remember I missed that uh, last second shot. I remember I was getting phone calls from everybody. Like I've been talking about my banks and teammates, the vet, the vets around the league, and that I took care of me. And I struggled. But the the thing that kept us together was just knowing that we were taking steps to being competitive. Like we weren't just giving up or getting losing and like not doing the things we were supposed to be doing. We were actually in games against really good teams. And like for me personally, like I asked for that moment every single time. I would, I begged Hesh to give me that ball and I would do the same thing again. Like I, or every single last second shot, I begged him for. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's against Bankstown that next game. I, I begged him for the ball. I said, I don't care if it's like a half push, I'll go take it. Like, just let me go get the ball in my hands. One thing that kept us really well together was our captain, DG. Uh, Hesh did a pretty good job in the sense we're just you know giving us hope telling us that we're on the right path and yeah and for me personally it was like like I said the vets around the league and everyone that took care of me and my family especially my family oh my god they were my they were my ass about it they, they gave me a hard time about it but they were, they were good like I needed that and I guess all that you know those close losses you know and then you get that that win over Manly just recently what's uh, yeah. what was the mood in the camp after after that Oh man, it was bittersweet. It was bittersweet. <laughs> it was bittersweet. Like we obviously we were happy, but at the same time, we're, like we're not, you know, we weren't silly about it in the sense that we were one in seventeen at that point. You know, what I mean, one eighteen. Like we weren't happy about it. Like, but we we're just happy to get that, like that win out of the way. Like we knew it was, we knew it was bound to come, but we just thought it would happen a lot earlier, and we thought we'd be able to build momentum from that point. It, it, like I said, we're a young team. These boys are so young on the team. They've got so much more years coming up. Like These guys are going to develop, you know. And I, I honestly believe, like I said, the, the, the core young group that they've got there, if they keep on building around them, letting them make mistakes and grow, like, uh, these boys will be good. You guys got a team of the week on the MBL1 socials and you got on MBL1 show for your for your first win of the season. So uh, don't, don't good. take it too lightly on celebrating. Yeah, no, nah, we. I mean, yeah, the boys, like I said, yeah, like we were happy, but then we realized we were one seventeen, so we were like, oh, shit. <laughs> so, it was like one of those moments. Um, I've noticed as well, actually, that you've missed the last three f- rounds of NBL One East. Are you able yeah. to give us an update about what's been going on? Um, so earlier in the season, it was actually against uh, the first game against the Newest Bulls at Saka. I actually strained my calf way earlier in the season. I played through it all season. I didn't really want to miss any games. I wanted to play. Basically playing on one leg half the season. But like I said, no excuse. I was out there. I was performing. Like I, like I, I had good games and bad games. So I'm not going to blame my calf. And yeah, like it just got to the point. Like it started hurting a bit more. And then I, I talked to my physio. He gave me the rundown where everything happened. And I went out to Hesh. And I said, Hesh, man, this is the deal. 
honestly told him I'd, I'd turn my car off if I had to, to play the rest of the season. It's up to him. He said, no, I don't want you to do that. Do you have a healthy off-season? You know, we got some stuff planned. Focus on that. And I was like, oh, sweet. So, yeah, we just, I mean, I, it was good. It was a good opportunity for the boys to get in there and play more minutes and have their turn, you know. It was really good. Actually, it was mad to see the boys actually, like, shine, which is good. Well, I have to say that watching you play this season, I would have no idea you were injured at any point. <laughs> I mean, like I said, like, if I was out there, I wasn't going to have an excuse for it. I didn't, t- I didn't tell nobody. Actually, no one knew except for my family. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't want to sit there and have an excuse of, oh, I'm injured. You know, that's why I played bad. Like, I just went out there, did what I had to do, you know, especially for the boys that, like, gave me the confidence I had to really back that up so yeah that was my whole thing um and you mentioned that uh you and coach Hesh have some plans in the off season what are you planning for the your off season to look like uh a lot a lot of training a lot of training I'm planning on training with him for a while um so we're gonna get into it and then just some stuff that I'm looking at trying to obviously every player wants to go overseas and experience the world and play so we got some. I'm I'm sussing some stuff out, um, personally, and got some stuff happening in the works. But we're just gonna we're gonna see how that goes. We're gonna see. We'll certainly keep our eyes peeled uh, for any updates with your progression, uh, Sharif, because uh, you mentioned earlier that your ultimate goal is to play for Lebanon. Um, yes. Yeah. Have you and for perhaps the likes of Coach Hesh or any of your other peers? started to develop, uh, you know, set some goals or a pathway for how you can get there? Oh, we obviously, yeah, um, me and my family are getting my citizenship and all that sort of stuff sorted for my Lebanese side. So we're in the works of doing all that. And like like, like I said, like everyone's goal is to play pro overseas and do stuff, you know, and experience the world. So obviously for me, I'd love to go to Lebanon and play pro league, pro over there. So that's the goal. Yeah, we're, we're, there's, we're taking steps, especially like my side, we're doing things here. Yeah, I've got, I've got good people around me uh, that are helping me out. So we'll see how that goes. Have you been to Lebanon before and um, been able to see the pro leagues firsthand? <laughs> No, I haven't. I haven't actually been able to go. I actually haven't been able to go, and I haven't. I've watched it online. I've watched a lot of games. Like I've actually, especially doing my research, just seeing who's there, asking the boys here. I actually know some of the boys that play pro over there, like about the league and that. And it's, it sounds amazing. And even the talent did. Like I didn't expect it actually. I thought it was. I I was like when I was watching, it, I was like, these these boys are all right. They know how to play. They're pretty good. So I was like, I'm I'm excited. Hopefully that works out. So I can go over there. And, you know, play at a high level because at the end of the day, you just want to keep on getting better. Like, I just want to keep on getting in to different levels and like, like, I will eventually, you know, become better than that and then reach a different level. That's my goal. I just want to keep on getting better. And do is there anyone notable from MVL one East or otherwise that you that have been playing in the Lebanon comp? Even are there any ex MVL players that we would know of that are playing over there? I think Dwarf is uh, one of the boys in the MBL. That he's gone over there. There's a few other NBL guys that I know by face, but don't know by name, like off by heart. But there's actually a few guys that go over there, play pro over there for a bit. So it's pretty cool. Like it's pretty cool seeing these boys go over there, play pro. You know, do their thing. You know, like you know, it's like I said, like like anything. Like you see someone else do it, and you're like, oh, I can do it now. You know what I mean? So the goal for me is to go over there, open up the pathway for kids that you know, like the Lebanese. Because you don't really see much, you know, Lebanese someone boys playing basketball at a higher level like this over here. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, like like I said, like I can show our communities that you know, like you don't have to just play rugby. Like, <laughs> like obviously, you know, like some boys love rugby and Lebanese love like the rugby and soccer. And you know, I want to show that you know, well, basketball is like a sport you can look cool and do things. So hopefully, this opens up a pathway once I once I do it. Because I honestly, you know, like I said, I believe in myself. I believe in the work. 
I believe in the people around me. Well, Lebanon, uh, their female national team were just here for Asia Cup not too long ago. Yeah. They did really well. They actually had to play a game against Chinese Taipei to make sure they weren't relegated into Division B, and uh, they won. Uh, we, we watched that, actually, um, on, on TV and uh, online. So, yeah, we got to watch it. It was actually good. It was good to see that they didn't get dropped because uh, I want to eventually play for them on the big stage against Australia and do all that stuff. I reckon they'll be amazing. So it was cool to see. And Lockie, would you like to do the honours of uh, asking one of our favourite questions on eScott Game? Oh, I'm just going to ask you more about the uh, big uh, display sitting there right behind him because it looks oh, like yes. you have oh. quite a number of shoes back there. You put up a sneak ahead? <laughs> I, I kind of collect shoes. On the side, you know, I mean, I kind of have. To, I've lately been a bit more responsible, but but um, I've got a. I think I've got 104 pairs right now of shoes. I think that's what it's at right now. So I collect Jordans and a lot of basketball shoes, and just you know, I try to wear them more fast to get there sometimes. But yeah. What's your uh, What's your favorite pair in the collection? Honestly, it'd have to be these Jordan ones. I've got the purple. The purple. I got them. I got them for a birthday present. Yeah, they're, they're pretty expensive. But I love them. They're good. So we covered a bit of your sneaker collection, and you've kind of hinted at some of your own personal ambitions on the basketball court. But tell us a little bit more about Reef when he's not on the basketball court. I mean, I'm a teacher, so I'm a I'm a, I'm a support teacher at a behaviour school. So I love doing that on the side. It just gives me something else to do when I'm not playing basketball. I'm thinking about basketball and watching basketball. Uh, it's not. It's a very typical and like you know, like everyone kind of says it, but like you know, I think you have to kind of love this game if you're going to try and be successful at it, and you got to kind of be obsessed sometimes. And I won't lie, like I am obsessed, and like the vets around me told me to have a balance, and I'm telling them I love it too much. Like, I just like training. I like playing. I think it's get it's kept me out of trouble, which is why I'm so touched this game. I, like honestly, like, what I do, apart from work and basketball, I'm thinking about basketball. I'm just, Way thinking about how to train, what court to go to to shoot, you know, and then yeah, especially this off season, I can't wait. I just, I mean, I can't wait to get like fully healthy so I can really get into it again and get ready for next season. Before we finish up, do you want to give any shout outs to anyone in the league? You've mentioned a lot of great names already, like DK and some of your teammates at Hornsby Green Guy Spiders. Yeah. Is there anyone that you've left out? <laughs> shout! I want to shout. Obviously, shout out uh, the Vanor family. They, they, they're like some of them are in the league. Goran Veg. He's in the Inner West Bulls. Uh, yeah, so Hala, um, they've taken care of me from before this season. So I've got to shout out them. They always train me in the gym and everything. Shout out Ethos. Uh, I want to shout out in the league. I want to shout out my Hornsby team uh, for supporting me this season. I think that was the best thing that happened for me. Uh, shout out to Banks. I'm always going to be a Banks boy heart. I mean, shout out to the league. I mean, listen, I, I mean, I think everyone, most, I think everyone's talented in this league. I think. You know, everyone's got a role. Everyone plays it to their ability here. Uh, I think being from the outside in, like from the outside, you can look in and say, "Oh, this guy's not that good, and this guy's that." But you're not, you're not, you're not on the court. You're not playing against these guys. Like you know, when you get on the court against them, you're like, "Oh, I can see why he's in this team." So, yeah, shout out to everybody. You know, a shout out to the boys out in the playoffs. Good luck. I'll see you there next year, and uh, I'll be in the playoffs. <laughs> Will we see you courtside at the NBL One East Grand Finals at Sydney Uni in August? Oh man, it, it, listen, it might hurt me to be there, but I might be there. It might hurt me personally, but I might be there. Some of your friends in the Inner West Bulls are there. You, I think you might have to turn up and support. <laughs> yeah, I know. My pride will hurt, but I'll be there. I'll, I'll be there to watch. So, Sharif Saipaya from the Hornsby Karingai Spiders, thank you so much for being a guest on East Got Game. Thank you for taking us through such a comprehensive history of your playing uh, career so far and also 
some of your truly inspirational aspirations for your game. I really hope I get to see you at a FIBA tournament representing Lebanon very soon. Thank you, thank you. I right, quickly got shout out my mom and my brothers and my dad. That's the yeah, I forgot to that's sweet. <laughs> no, all right. Thank uh, you thanks. so much again, Sharif. This has been great. It's been great. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for another episode of eScot Game. Remember to subscribe to our podcast, share with your friends, and most of all, don't sleep on the East.